1: Hi everyone, it's Ashley Hales, host of the Finding Holy Podcast and author of the book Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land Too Much. And friends, I wrote that book because I am so fascinated by how our places, how our ordinary lives, how our environments actually shape our loves and affections and how we have the opportunity to move towards God in all of our ordinary everyday lives. And that's what we're doing here at the Finding Holy podcast, where we connect the dots between the things that matter and your everyday ordinary. So I can't wait for you to listen in on this conversation with Casey Tigret. Casey is an author, pastor, and host of the Otherwise podcast. His new book is called As I Recall, Discovering the Place of Memories in Our Spiritual Life. He's also the author of Becoming Curious, a spiritual practice of asking questions. You are going to love this conversation. At the very least, stick around because Casey talks about the soul like a burrito. Now that I have your curiosity peaked, make sure you listen in for your one small step at the end. And here's my conversation with Casey. All right, friends, I am so excited to welcome a friend and fellow IVP author, Casey Tigret, who's going to be talking to us today about memory and our spiritual lives. I cannot wait. It's good to have you on, Casey.
0: Good to be here. Thanks for asking me to come on.
1: Yeah. So you have a book, as I recall, really delving into our spiritual memories. So tell us a little bit about that as a topic and why you found it fascinating.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think all good books come from the weirdness of who we are. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Weird in the sense of like different, but also weird in the sense of unique. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm a person that thinks a lot about the past. Um, Yeah, I'm an Enneagram four, so I have all these romantic thoughts. Uh, That's right. High five. Yeah. And uh, I'm also an (laughs) ENFP
1: deeply about all of the deep things.
0: <laughs> I'm also an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs, so I, I, I tend to look inward and I think a lot about things that have happened in the past and how much they determine where we are in the mm-hmm. present. And uh, seeing the intersection between, um, especially as a, I, I operate as a spiritual director, so I see a lot of our conversations heading not into what's happening like the day before, but a lot of the conversations about our soul have to do with things that are way past, long mm. under the bridge. And so the thought came is that if memories make us who we are and everything that we do right now is a product of the stories and scripts that our experiences and memories have written for us, then God has to be involved in the process of not only helping us to understand what those memories are mm-hmm. and how they, how they have value, but also in redeeming some of the ones, even the ones that are, you know, everybody tends to say, well, either good or bad, but there are the ones that are just kind of like, ah, it happened, and I can't assess a value judgment on that. Mm, mm. So I think part of our formation is really understanding where does God intersect our memories, good, bad, or otherwise, and mm-hmm. how does he use those those events from our past to make us who we are going to be and who we are.
1: Mm-hmm. So Casey, tell me how we don't slide into just like, this weird kind of positivity thinking, you know, right? Like I'm going to rewrite my memories and upward and onward. Yeah. yeah. How what's that process look like for you that's, you know, allows us to be messy and true but also talk about redemption and hope in terms of our memories and our walk with God?
0: Yeah. Well, I think encountering our memories honestly won't let us do that because in order to do this, to go into this process to dive into the things that are in our past, we have to see the value of both the negative and the positive. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, the story of the Exodus is one, you know, there's this annual celebration of the Passover, this amazing moment where they remember freedom from Egypt.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: At the same time, it's the memory of the firstborn of all the Egyptians being slaughtered.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So it, it's, it's, our memories are always two sides of a coin. Mm. And so some of them are really painful. And yet we we hear the phrase all the time, if I could go back, would you do it differently? No, I wouldn't. Right. Even though that was the worst, you know, maybe I would change some of the circumstances or deaden some of the pain of what, I, what it was like mm-hmm. to go through that. What God, I think, is teaching us as we step back into those memories is every memory really belongs.
2: Mm. It's
0: all part of this. And so most of us can't just slide into positivism because of the consequences, mm-hmm. because there are things we're still wrestling with, whether it's some of us, it's physical. Some of us, it's a space at the Christmas dinner table that used to be filled by somebody. And, you know, it could be years and years on, and we still think about the fact that they're not with us. Mm-hmm. And yet, even in the middle of that, there's a, there's a process of redemption going on. God is doing something significant in mm-hmm. us and through us, even in that place.
1: Mm, I love that. Um, You talk about in your book certain practices of prayer, fasting, and Sabbath. Um, Because I think we can think, as we think of our faith journeys and we're thinking about memories, we can think about them as very intellectual, right? That it's me inside myself or inside my soul, inside my brain, kind of trying to grab all of these sorts of things. So how do practices of the body, like prayer, fasting, Sabbath that you talk about, intersect with how we kind of grab hold of those memories again and ask God to do something with them?
0: It's such an interesting question because most of spiritual formation is, uh, most of the spiritual disciplines conversations tend to be present looking forward. Mm -hmm. And to think about doing something like Sabbath, Means that our brains are reminding us that we have this relationship with food.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, when your stomach growls, it's not a it's not a present tense thing. It's a it's a hey, we're used to getting this stuff, and you're not delivering.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, you know, I, a little while this might be okay, and another right. four hours or so, you know, my my gut's going on strike. So it's there's a bit of a there's a bit of our brain that's placing us in the present and saying. Everything that's happened up to this point, your body has memories of its own. Mm-hmm. And so to pray is to remember what it felt like to learn how to pray. Mm-hmm. For me, it's to remember the people who taught me to pray.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so coming into that moment, I never come into it alone. I never come into it without these scrolls, these mm-hmm. stories that have mm-hmm. built up over time. Same with fasting, you know. same mm-hmm. with silence and solitude, same with Sabbath, Mm-hmm. Sabbath, we're actually stepping into this incredibly long history mm-hmm. and a history that's not even ours. You know, I'm a, I'm a Gentile. I'm Irish. Right. So, you know, this is not necessarily the tradition of my genetic ancestors. And yet, it's a memory that's been given to us. When Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, I'm giving you this. It's a mm-hmm. gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're carrying that story into the present. And so those practices help us to remember Uh, You know, Sabbath helps us to remember the moments when we realized we weren't in control of the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you've never had a moment like that, it's probably coming. (laughs) Most people figure that out when they have children. All of a sudden, Sabbath makes so much more sense. Like, oh, I'm not in control of the universe. (laughs)
1: This is wonderful. Uh, That's great. Um, What would you say to those of us who maybe have a hard time inhabiting our memories? Or we just forget a lot. Or things feel like blank. Yeah. and we get to them?
0: Well, I think there are some memories that only make sense in certain seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love books. I have always loved books. But I also know that um, there are some books that have seasons. Mm-hmm. And they come to you in that moment. And you read them. And you're like, if I had read this five years earlier, it would have never made sense to me. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some memories of our life um, that don't really make sense until we get to a certain place or a certain point. Um, my memories from my childhood, I've had them my whole life. They look so much different. They looked so much different when I had a child of my own.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, memories of my life as a teenage boy, now being the father of a teenage girl. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, they just... Yeah? they. It's a totally different thing. And, then, and mm-hmm. then you have this, you don't have a self-editing thing, but you're like, God, you've got to teach me how to take these things and make them uh, sacred again. Mm. Uh, even though it may not have been a sacred thing at the time, it's that this can be a gift. Uh, I can tell my daughter, this is what those guys are thinking. Yeah. And I know that. And so here's the way that we walk in light of that wisdom. Mm. Mm. And so interacting with memories, especially if you find it like dead or this just isn't going anywhere, a lot of times it might be a time, it might be a season. Um, sometimes I think it's we need the help of uh, trained folks, whether it's a spiritual director or a counselor, to just help us step into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you're having the same, if you're rethinking the same piece of history over and over again, there's not an accident there.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, I
0: think, I think God is bringing that to mind for a purpose and we might not be able to access the purpose, but someone else who's trained and skilled and compassionate and uh, graceful can help us step back into that with some mm. clarity.
1: Mm. Yeah. I just hearing you talk, it it strikes me. I think sometimes we can think of this as just very um, singular, right? Or, you know, us and God. Um, but ultimately, too, it's creating relationship or, you know, stepping into memories with someone else. So speak of a little bit about, you know, this communal aspect of memory.
0: Yeah, c- communities um, have memories of their own. Because I-, I love the imagery of the body. And mm-hmm. so our physical bodies have memories. We People talk about muscle memory. You Repeated actions create these, you know, memories in your tissue. And so you remember to stand up and your feet know how to go flat. Well, in Paul's metaphor of the body of Christ, those bodies have memories as well. Mm. Even the first century churches, they have this memory of persecution. They have this memory of the times when they first heard the message or when they first heard the scandalous idea that a man had raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. There was this redemptive moment for all of humanity. And so entering into a group of people who have a shared memory is is the same as us as individuals because it, it is both poetic and painful.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There mm-hmm. is there is glory and there is the gory. It's mm-hmm. there's both. And I, I love thinking about churches having memories and mm-hmm. individual congregations because they share it together. They have the event when the steeple burned down or when they had the revival meeting or the baptisms or
2: mm-hmm.
0: when they stepped up for the sake of their community. Mm. Um, It's all there. And so when you enter into it with your own personal memories, you have a different lens to look at it through.
1: Mm -hmm. How can we help create, you know, positive scripts of redemption in our communities, whether that's our families or, you know, our church memory? I'm just thinking, you know, we all have had times, um, even in just normal life where being a part of community has been painful and hurtful, um, and yet, there's ways that God has broken in and taught us things um, in those moments of pain. So, how do we help create a communal identity that sees pain, um, acknowledges pain, but isn't having letting pain or um, sin have the last word?
0: That's a fantastic question. Um, I, I think some of it, and I have to answer from an evangelical standpoint. I think some of it is missing because of the lack of whether it's the church calendar or the focus on specific practices. Uh, lament is one of those things that allows us to remember what pain mm, is. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. In the beginning of the book, there's a story uh, that I tell that's one of my favorite. I, there's some of these Bible stories that we never talk about, but mm-hmm. I think they're wonderful. And it's the story in Ezra chapter three, where mm-hmm. the exiles come back to Jerusalem. The temple foundation has been rebuilt. And simultaneously, there are the old, the old folks... Right. And it even says in the, um, it's the yeah. Bible, so don't get on me about it. Um, there's the old folks, and then there is the rest of the people. So the the scribes and the teachers who had seen the old temple are weeping and wailing, and mm-hmm. then the people, the other people, everyone else, basically, is cheering because hey, the future is going to be bright. And the other folks are saying, man, ah, but it's not as good as the old one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what lament within a congregation allows us to do is to not only personally, but corporately, honor the fact that a lot of us are feeling the consequences of acts that we've committed or others have committed against us. And we have these memories of pain, abandonment, loss, um, whether it's us personally from a father or mother or a spouse, or whether it's a community that's, Mm -hmm. our communities are hemorrhaging. They have uh, memories of pain and abandonment and, um, and being able to lament that together, but also to have this sense of resurrection hope Mm -hmm. that builds in us this intensity to be resilient, Mm -hmm. but also know that this moment is contingent and it's Mm -hmm. not going to be forever. And there's Mm -hmm. a hope that it's coming Mm -hmm. for us personally, but also for us corporately. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And so we're, you know, we're rewriting the stories of, you know, what larger story are we a part of to belong to?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: in, In how we fashion our memories instead of, yeah, being, Kind of bogged down by, by pain or suffering.
0: And like anything else, space is really important and place is really important. Uh, to know how people, you know, it's maybe a simple conversation of if I were to ask someone, where can you take the things that have wounded you?
2: Hmm. Where
0: can you take the things that have hurt you? Would they say their church? Would hmm. they say their pastor? Um, you know, I don't know even how to. I'm still processing through this, but the article that the Houston Chronicle released this weekend
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, about abuse in certain certain denomination churches, certain yeah. movement evangelical churches, those folks can't look back at their memories and say, I will take this pain to the church because what they'll say is, I've already done that. And well, the that church caused so-
1: the pain, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: Or, you know, I I did bring it to the right people, to the people who should have heard it and they didn't. And so where do I go now? And so I think for us, the best thing we could do as you know, pastors and leaders, but also as individuals, is create space for people to really wrestle with the pain of their memories hmm. of what's come up and to, to say, this, this actually belongs. I hate that you had to go through it, mm-hmm. and that must have been terribly painful, but it actually belongs hmm. in your story, and there are things that are going to come out of this uh, eventually. And you know, you have to have tact with that, Right, is easily become a whole thing of well, she's in a better place. Yeah, how about two Christmases from now we have that conversation? Right, right now, not so much. Right. So there is a pastoral tact there. <laughs> right, be.
1: yes, uh, but I think that's so important. Um, what would what does that look like? You know, in your own ministry, your own church. Um, you know, where have you experienced that either personally or as a leader to create that space for for pain and brokenness, and then also to to help people as they're kind of struggling with those memories to rewrite them into a story of hope of God, you know, redeeming all things.
0: Yeah. I think, I think where I've seen it the best is when, when teaching is allowed to be open-ended you know, a lot of times a well-constructed weekend teaching is built with no air pockets
2: Hmm.
0: and uh, and so, and that can be great and they can be very compelling and, but I think there are those moments where you leave it open. And, and when you leave the end or a teaching open, you give space for people to actually step into it. And, hmm. and when you say things like, I don't know why this is happening, mm-hmm. I don't know what to do with this, I, I don't know what to do this, with this personally in my own life, or there isn't a good answer for this. And you don't put that logical positivism spin on it like, this is right. all going to be fine because we've read the end of the book and we win. Great. It's not. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> like I'm dealing with Monday right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The other, I think, is this is one of the gifts of, um, of spiritual direction. Right. Uh, it is the ability to have someone who can look at some of the most painful moments and say, that, you know, share and empathize, but also say, is, is God present? Is there, a sense, is there a way that you're sensing Him even in the midst of that? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? And to even suggest that God is there uh, invites a whole lot of other dialogue. invites some anger. Well, if he was there, why didn't he do anything? Right. But it also invites a curiosity. Um, If God was there and I wasn't alone, boy, that's a totally different kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And again, all of those things, you know, a person who has experienced abuse, physical, emotional, sexual, has now written a story that this particular person or this particular relationship, this is how that should operate. And so they either, they either go into another relationship defensive, or they just assume that that's the way it's going to be, and they accept it as normal.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so there's no quicker way to be spiritually deformed than to believe an untrue narrative. Mm-hmm. And so whoever we're being formed around, whatever our image mm-hmm. of God is, or our image of a relationship is, we're going to live up to that and into that. And so it's easy to see how if you live your whole life with a vindictive and angry and bitter God, you become a vindictive and angry and mm-hmm. bitter person. Mm-hmm. And so there's that place of inviting people into a spot where you can tell them a different story, mm-hmm. about their memories. not to change the memory, but to say, the way we've been thinking about this, if we just step around the corner and look at it from this angle, what do you see? Mm-hmm. And there are some practices that help us do that, but usually it's it's someone else—a mm-hmm. director or a counselor or mm-hmm. someone who teaches with some openness and allows for that mm. kind of conversation to happen.
1: Oh, that's really lovely. Thank you. Um, how would you suggest to someone who, you know, like most of us, busy running around? You know, they're probably you're probably listening right while you're walking or commuting or whatever it is that we're doing. Right for all of our podcasts, listening. Um, but you know that this language of the soul is something that they're intrigued by, but they don't quite have a vocabulary uh, for something like the soul. What would be a good starting point?
0: i uh i've used the illustration that the soul is really like a burrito in a
1: <laughs> see there's go- everyone can eat a burrito we can at least begin <laughs> it doesn't feel like all esoteric right <laughs> well
0: burrito. that was where when i taught it the first time that was immediately where it broke down because i wrote it down on a piece of paper yeah and i started talking about it and i was like wait a minute i'm defining my soul as something that's edible <laughs> how do- uh okay but you know, you walk into yeah. a, a, your favorite burrito place whatever it might be. You don't order all the ingredients separately. Mm-hmm. Even at Chipotle, you right. are moving towards a goal. Right. And so our soul is just the whole of our lives tied together. Mm-hmm. So whether physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, mm-hmm. corporate, personal, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so whatever is interjected in to that burrito uh so when I was teaching Flavors on this it was, it. <laughs> yes, when I was teaching on this, I actually took a took a burrito and was eating it on stage, which nice. while teaching, which is not the greatest idea because you have mm-hmm. to monitor how big of a bite you take. That's just a
1: eating. lot of things your brain has to <laughs> process, right? <laughs> Can <laughs> I finish much. this and make a good point all in one go?
0: <laughs> That's right. But then I took a spoonful of that those hunts snack pack chocolate mm-hmm. pudding. Mm-hmm. And I just slobbed it on there and ate a big bite of that, which was awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> just to say, you know, this thing tastes good, but to right. put it into this bigger package, right? You know, it, it doesn't necessarily belong. Right. And so our soul is really taking on the flavor of our practices, but also the stories and scripts that our memories have written. Mm. And uh, grasping where we are, I'm sitting in a house right now that to explain how we got here is to really explain almost the entire story of my life for the last 20 some years.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so we, I think sometimes we miss what, uh, what a lot of uh, stagecraft people call the contus primus. It's the through line. So every great musical or ballet has this line that goes through the whole mm-hmm. thing, whether it's music or whether it's a theme and everything connects back to it. And so I think we forget how our memories have written this through line Mm -hmm. Everything we do attaches back to it. And all the while, the Spirit of God is standing there saying, we could take this, I could take this, and I could help you learn how to do something with it.
1: Mm. That's so encouraging to think about. Yeah, that we're not like victims of our circumstances or, um, you know, if I don't have, you know, the right words or understanding to think about my soul and my spiritual life, then, you know, I might as well just be busy and keep running around. Um, I think that's really helpful. What would you recommend kind of as a, you know, a starting practice uh, for listeners as we think about getting in touch with our memories and um, asking God to do something with them and to, to, you know, to trust ourselves and to trust God that He— the Spirit of God is at work in our memories and through them and, you know, moving us towards growing more like Jesus. So, yeah, because I think a lot of times we feel really helpless um, about our circumstances and we feel, um, you know, or we feel unduly responsible. And so, I think this is a helpful vocabulary to begin to relate to God and to other people um, through our memories. So what would be kind of a starting practice to free up space in ourselves and in our schedules to do something?
0: Well, our memories have been with us for so long. A lot of times we've forgotten all the contours and we've sort of, we've made moral value judgments about them. So if we've, for example, abuse just seems to be the easy one to go back to because it's a clear example, not because it's easy. But we've spent so much time with our experience of abuse. We've assigned all the blame and we've assigned all the value and we've decided either we're at fault or someone else is at fault. Mm. Uh, but I think sometimes it, whenever I start this conversation, I can look at people's eyes and I know that they've brought something to mind. Like you don't, I don't have to prompt someone when we start talking about memories to bring a memory to mind. It's the Mm -hmm. one that they would have brought to mind anyway on Mm -hmm. the train or on the treadmill or wherever they are. And so what I like for people to do when you're stepping into this for the first time is to really spend some time scripting that memory out. So taking into account the setting, like a good story, the setting, where was this that this happened? When did it happen? Mm -hmm. Uh, Who are the characters? And can you assign some motivation to them? Like, what was going on then? That's the interesting thing about as a father, looking back on my memories of, of being a child, is that when I look at my parents in the drama of a memory that I had, I see their roles differently. Mm-hmm. And I almost can understand. Now, this is I'm not saying, well, we have to just excuse things. But it is helpful for us in redeeming these memories to come and understand this might be where they were coming from. They completely botched it. I mean, fumble ruski, completely <laughs> blew it. But I know what they were going after.
1: Hmm. Part of I think what you're saying about rescripting our memories then is going back and getting all of the sensory details as well as empathizing with various players. And then what?
0: Yeah, then being able to to sit with it and look at it and and begin to ask God some questions. And my previous book was about curiosity and about asking questions. Mm-hmm. And so being able to being able to ask some really honest open-ended questions about that memory. The first one might be why is this still so fresh Especially mm-hmm. if you know you can you can run through that memory really quickly and give all the detail and it happened like 30 years ago Right or 20 years ago. There's a reason. It's so fresh um, it may be because we've rehashed it so many times
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and also because all of the information that's going into our brain. So there's some brain science in this book that I think is really helpful. It was um,
1: great and it made sense. So well done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Man, for for a guy with a, you know, a pastoral education to make neuroscience make sense. I, I'm well, at take, least, I,
1: you know, at popular level, <laughs> I don't really know neuroscience.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> But to know that that information that's going in, repeating it actually changes the shape of our brains. And so as we're detailing this memory, we're using physical shape that's been crafted by those particular experiences. Mm. And for that to happen, um, it means it's significant. And so being able to sit with God and ask some questions. Why why did this happen? Why is it still with me? What is it you have to say about this, if anything? Mm noticing also, again, since our soul is a burrito uh, and it's all tied together, uh, noticing what physical, you know, when you bring that memory to mind, what are the physical impacts? Do mm-hmm. you get a, a knot in your gut? Do you get a tension in your shoulders? Do you find it hard to focus? God, what is it that my body is trying to tell me about what my mind is recounting? And, mm-hmm. and what, do you, what do you want me to do? What's the next good thing I can do? Mm-hmm. with the information that i'm starting to deal with and that's a great start and then the, throughout the book there are practices that sort of help us get one more,
2: mm-hmm. and, one mm-hmm. more
0: and one more and then sometimes i think we just need to, to pause we just need to stop the practice and just pause for a second and sort of take stock of our surroundings
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, where where am i now and uh, am i still thinking about that the same way as i was at the beginning
1: mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're becoming aware of how God is at work and how he can be at work and yeah, aware of our bodies. I think that's great. Thank you for those questions. I think they're very helpful for us as we try to develop a language for our memories and our lives and our, our placement in the world. So thank you. Yeah, And I would love to know your laundry routine as we conclude our conversation. Oh,
0: you are catching me at such a good point. So. Yay. My wife and I have steamrolled through the Tidying Up with Mary Kondo.
1: Oh, I'm impressed. Did you do your house?
0: We, well, we did some of our house. She has a whole thing about books that I think is just bonkers. About 30, each person should only have 30 books.
1: Well, I I'm think like, she has 30 books. I don't know if it's,
0: oh, it's
1: see, a hard and fast book. become folk legend. It has already. Wow.
2: God I bless know. the internet. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, so okay. I can't go. Yes.
0: <laughs> I can't go with her on that. No. But my laundry habit now includes the folding. Ooh. And so the the, the proper con, yes the Con, the con Marie.
1: yeah method
0: yes. So and, this
1: has transformed you.
0: Oh, it's fantastic.
1: Kind of okay. How tell uh, me?
0: Because I
1: I don't fold.
0: <laughs> as a guy yeah. who owns a, a ton of T-shirts. Yeah. Uh, I am constantly rifling through my drawer to find them.
2: Mm-hmm. Now
0: the way they're folded, now I can see them all. Mm-hmm. And I just and and you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie, and I know this is the tagline. I look in my drawer and I feel this little spark of joy.
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: It happens.
1: That is happens. okay. Okay. So how long did this whole thing take to do all your clothes and all of that? Was it a huge reboot of your entire lives
0: no we watched it so laundry day in our house is usually wednesdays and uh so we watched i think the first episode on a monday or tuesday so it was great timing because as stuff was coming out we started and my wife and i've really tried to live pretty simply anyway Mm -hmm. so it wasn't a huge we didn't have a lot to give away but we uh yeah so as the laundry was coming out we were folding it into the little what i call the little envelopes yes and so it's just it yeah it didn't take very long at all. It took a couple of days.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we all have a little bit more encouragement to not only think about our souls as burritos, but also fold your clothes. <laughs>
0: We've covered some territory. Here, we
1: have. There. It's been great. Thank you so much, Casey. It's been such a pleasure to have you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you.
1: Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Casey. I know I did. It was fascinating and fun and practical. And maybe next time you're eating a burrito, you'll think a little bit about your soul. So I want to leave you with one small step, something to move forward into your life so we can connect the dots between the things that really matter and our everyday holy lives. So we're going to take it right from Casey. I'm going to ask you to maybe block off 10 minutes in your calendar And script a memory. Maybe when Casey was talking through all of these things, something bubbled up, a memory. And you want to think a little bit more about how God could be using that memory. So take 10 minutes, write down a story. Remember who was there. What did it feel like? What was the weather like? What words were spoken or unspoken? What was the feeling deep in your soul? Write out the story of that memory. And then when you're done, We do know that often the memories that stick with us can be really painful ones. So take two minutes in silence and quietness and stillness before God and bring that memory to him. Offer it as a gift and know that Jesus can redeem it, that the Holy Spirit can bring peace and comfort and healing, even when we've had so many painful memories in our ordinary lives. And so bring it before God. And if you're comfortable, we would love to hear a little bit about what that process was like. You can go ahead and tag Finding Holy Podcast on social media with a little hashtag. You can tag me at AAHales on any social media platform or Casey as well. And we'll have all of those information so you can follow up on the show notes at AAHales.com podcast. Be sure to click on the link and Grab a copy of Casey's book, as I recall, and I would be honored if you picked up a copy of my book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs, Living Faithfully in the Land of Too Much, because both me and Casey really want to help you connect the dots between the things that matter in your everyday holy life, whether that's about your place or your memories. So, friends, thank you for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't yet so you can be a part of more good conversations, because Big things matter, but so does the laundry.
0: This episode was brought to you in part.